You have breakfast already? Yes. What'd you eat? I had the last bagel and a yogurt. Are you planning on making a grocery trip soon? Caleb, you work 24 hours and then you're off for 48. You've got more time to go than I do. Hey, I just asked you a simple question. You don't need to get smart with me. You could at least save me some breakfast. Well, I never know when you're coming home or going out. You don't tell me these things. Catherine, what is your problem? Did I offend you by walking in the door this morning? No, you just can't expect me to work every day and still get the groceries while you sit at home looking at trash on the internet and dreaming about getting your boat. You chose to take this job, and no one said you had to work full time. We need the income, especially since you took away a third of your salary saving for a boat we don't need. You've got $24,000 in savings, but we have things in our house that need fixing. Like what? The back door needs to be painted, the yard needs better landscaping, and I keep telling you I want to put more shelves in the closet. Those are called preferences, Catherine. Those are not needs. There's a difference. If you want to spend your money on that stuff, go ahead, fine. But I've been saving up for my boat for years. You're not taking that from me. This is so pointless. I don't have time for this. Yeah, shut the door on your way out. And that, of course, is a clip from the movie Fireproof. A lot of our people went to see the movie this past week at the Regal Cinema. How many of you were there at the Fireproof movie? That's great. And a lot of you have seen it at another time. If you haven't yet, particularly if you are a married couple here today, I really encourage you to see the movie. It's a really good story. Of course, Caleb and Catherine play. Uh, these are two people who are pretty much on their last leg as a married couple. And the whole movie revolves around how can a couple that's in crisis like this put it back together? How can the husband, how can the wife find hope for a new type of married relationship? And that's what we're talking about here at UPC these days. Last week, I preached the first of two messages about marriage. And I'm going to ask you to turn with me again to the same passage we looked at last week, Colossians chapter 3. We're doing a study of the book of Colossians right now called gospel-centered living, and we come to this passage about marriage in Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19. Now, perhaps, again, I should say to you who are not married that this passage is just as much for you as it is for our husbands and wives. This is a passage of Scripture for the whole church. So don't just shut off for the next half hour. Pay attention, because one day you may be married... If not, if God does not call you to be married, then you need to know what husbands and wives are up against. You need to know what they're called to do, that you might pray for them and support them. Uh, and furthermore, as I pointed out last week, this passage about marriage has to do with an even bigger picture, and that's the picture of the relationship we have with God. He is our husband, we are his bride, and so you'll see the gospel shine very clearly out through this passage today. So let me read it for you again, and then we're going to address the needs of the husbands among us this morning. Last week, I talked to you about Colossians 3.18. I taught what it means in that verse where Paul the Apostle says, for wives to submit to their husbands. And so I hope, uh, wives, that you brought your husband back today, because today we're going to address the, the call for the husband in verse 19. But let me read both verses, and then we'll dive right in. Hear the Word of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
the word of the Lord. All right, I'm going to plunge right in without any review. If you weren't here last week, I would just urge you to go to our church website, listen to last week's message, and uh, you'll get a little bit of an introduction to the whole theme. But today, let's go right into verse 19. It says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In that one verse, I'd like to unpack it with three points. First, let's talk about the husband's calling and then the husband's weakness, and finally, the husband's power. Calling, weakness, power. First thing we're going to see in this passage is the husband's calling. It's very obvious, isn't it, men? If you're married, this message is very plain. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives. Now, you might be aware that there are several different Greek words in the New Testament for our English word, love. For example, there's the Greek word philos, which, from which we get the name of the city, Philadelphia. It represents brotherly love or friendship love. And then there's the Greek word eros, which is a physical or sexual love, a very important part of marriage, but that's not the word Paul uses here for love. Instead, he says agape love when he says husbands love your wives. It's the Greek word agape, which is a Greek word representing self-giving or sacrificial love. Agape love is where you are determining to help another person become all that he or she can be. It's where you are giving up your own rights and your own ambitions to see to it that someone else's needs get met. That's what agape love is all about. And that's the love we're talking about here in verse 19. The husband is called by God to put the needs of his wife above his own needs and pour himself into making her feel loved and secure and fulfilled. Husbands, that's our calling. Now, I want you to know that that was a very radical message for Paul to give in his day. The culture in which Paul lived was one that was very hostile to the kind of love we see husbands called to give to their wives. For example, there was a Greek writer who lived back in the days of Socrates named Xenophon. And Xenophon had said that it was the husband's goal that the wife might see as little as possible, hear as little as possible, and ask as little as possible. Wives, that's a pretty demeaning way of looking at you, isn't it? And then there was another guy by the name of Demosthenes. He was a Greek orator And Demosthenes had said about men, and I quote, We have courtesans for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, and wives for the purpose of having children and looking after our household affairs. Sounds like we got the expression uh, barefoot and pregnant from Demosthenes, doesn't it? One commentator says that the ancient pagan man who would have lived in Paul's day breathed adultery. In other words, it was just commonly accepted that a man would have numerous affairs. Even among the Jewish people, there was a group of uh, Jewish rabbis known as the Hillel School who actually believed that it was okay for a man to divorce his wife for as trivial a reason as her putting too much food, uh, too much salt on his food. Just get a divorce. Too much salt on my food. I'm going to divorce you. That's what some rabbis taught the Jewish people. Talk about male chauvinism. And yet it was to that very chauvinistic culture that the Apostle Paul writes these words, husband, love your wife. 
Put her on the pedestal of your life. Honor her. Value her. Help her reach her highest potential. Now, why? Why does God give husbands this calling? Well, I want you to turn back with me. Hold your place in Colossians and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians is a little book by Paul that's just a couple of books over to the left from Colossians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And let me read a few verses that I think throw a great light on Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is sort of the cliff note version of Ephesians 5. And let me read verses 25 through 30. Paul, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, here's a very important verse, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Now, focus with me back on verse 28, where Paul said, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, you'll read some commentaries on that verse, and the way that they will interpret is something like this, that Paul is saying to husbands to love your wife just like you love your body. I mean, after all, we do love our bodies. We groom our bodies. We care about our bodies. We're constantly paying attention to our bodies. And so the thinking is that you ought to love your wife that way. Just as much as you love your body, you ought to love your wife. And I don't think that's really the best way to interpret that verse. Instead, what Paul is saying here is to love your wife in the same way, or rather because they are your body. Look at this. See, this is a better way. Husbands ought to love their wives because they are their own bodies. In other words, Paul is saying she is your body. As your body, love her. Because she is your body, honor her. Treat her like Number one, the point Paul is making here is that the wife is a part of the husband. See, she's a part of him. She's his other half. When two people marry, you know this, they become one. But not just physically. We miss this, see. When two marry, they become one ontologically. They become one in the core of their being. When God looks at you, he sees you as a couple being one flesh. And so the husband is to treat his wife as a vitally important part of himself. She is not an add-on, in other words. The wife is not an appendage to the husband. She is not even just a partner. You know, we often talk about our, our spouse as our partner, but that really doesn't do justice to the biblical view of marriage. She's more than a partner guy. She is your body. She is so closely connected to you, so totally united with you, that she is your body. She's become your body. And so out of that, because she's your body, you are called in Colossians 3.19 to love your wife. Just as believers have become the body of Christ, so the wife has become the body of the husband. And as Jesus loves us as his own body, so we husbands are to agape love our own wives as our body. That's the calling 
That's the ideal. But you know what? This is a foreign concept to a lot of us guys. Unfortunately, a lot of married men think and act as if they are still single. Now, of course, they have a ring on their finger. Of course, they would say they're married, but they're thinking and they're acting as if it's just all about them. For example, perhaps a husband gets a bonus at work. And what does he do? He thinks about how he is going to spend it without even giving a thought of talking it over with his wife first. Or here's another example. A man might have a Saturday coming up with nothing planned, but yet he only thinks about what he wants to do with his Saturday. Or he might be looking at a job change or a promotion offer, and it might not even cross his mind what the implications of that change might be to her, her lifestyle, her friendships, her hopes, and her ambitions. Or he might be sitting at his computer. When a pop-up ad comes up for a pornographic website, it hits his screen, and he doesn't even think about what its impact would be upon his wife. He doesn't even pause to stop and consider, wait a second, I am not free. She is a part of my body. What will looking at that ad, what will looking at that website do damagingly to my wife and to our relationship? He often doesn't even think about that. That's what I mean by men who live as if they are single. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the moment the husband thinks like that, he has broken the most fundamental principle of marriage, and that is that the husband and wife are not two, they are one. Husbands, when God says to love your wife, He means to to stop thinking singly. Stop thinking like a single man who can just do whatever you want to do and go wherever you want to go and think about whatever you want to think about. Stop thinking that your wife is just a second person with whom you now have a household relationship, with whom you have a kid, with whom you divide up the chores. Now, we wouldn't say it this way, but often that is the way we look at marriage. I stress this because I talk to an awful lot of lonely women An awful lot of you wives in this room are lonely women. You feel like an appendix to your husband, don't you? And in my own marriage, you know what I find? That I must fight every moment of every day. It is this idea to think only of myself. I don't know about you men, but I have to struggle with that all the time. And I fail over and over again. This this seemingly inevitable tendency in me, thanks to my sinful nature, to think only of what makes me happy, only of what I want. See, that's not thinking as Paul the Apostle and as God through Paul calls us to think. Notice if you're still in Ephesians 5 verse 29. I read that too. It says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Notice feed. Notice care for. The word feed means to nourish your wife with time and conversation. And the word care for means to cherish her with generous, frequent displays of affection. Men, that's what Paul is saying when you feed and care for your wife. Guys, do you know what your wife's worst fear is? Every woman's worst fear is rejection. 
Last week I was talking about the worst fear of men. And I said that I believe that the worst fear of every man is failure. But I think it's different for women. I think it's rejection. I think that reflects the fact that they're relational creatures. They're they're made relational. And so their greatest fear is rejection, abandonment, not being loved. The question that haunts every woman is, am I valuable? Am I lovable? Am I important to someone? Am I somebody worth pursuing? Women true? Nod if you agree. (laughs) I, I think talking to... My wife, talking to my daughters, talking to men, women and men, I think that's every woman's non- nagging question. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It started in Eden. When God created Eve, she was a highly relational being, just like I've said. Her strength was that of a nurturer. But then sin happened. Sin came into the human race, and suddenly Eve's world was rocked. Her relationship with Adam was severed. Immediately, Eve lost that sense of interpersonal security that she'd been created with. And do you remember the curse that God placed upon Eve because of the sin of Adam? We looked at this curse last week, but let me remind you about it. It's up here on the screen. It's in Genesis 3.16. Because of Adam's sin, God placed upon Eve this curse. He said, To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, With pain you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What I want you to notice here is the focus of the curse that was placed upon Eve. The curse God placed upon Adam was focused upon his work. Remember the sweat of the brow, thorns, briars, the work would be that much more difficult. But the curse that God placed upon Eve was upon her relationships. Suddenly, the very thing for which Eve was created became a source of frustration and pain. The very thing that had been Eve's delight was now the source of heartache and was intensely difficult. Childbirth and childrearing would be painful and discouraging. Her relationship with Adam would be a struggle for control. And more than ever, what Eve needed from Adam was that he be a lover. Not because she was weak, No, not because she was inferior, but because she was broken. Just like Adam was broken, we're both broken. And what Eve needed was love. More than ever, she needed somebody to pursue her, somebody to prove to her that she was valuable, that she was important, that she was secure. That's why God says to you and me, husbands, love your wives. Feed and care for her just as Jesus feeds and cares for you. Talk to her. Spend time with her. Pursue her. Treat her her like you did at the first. Treat her like you're dating her. She's not an appendix. She's your very body. So that is the calling. But if you're like me, you're looking at this calling and you're seeing your weakness. So let's talk about every husband's weakness. The husband's weakness is addressed. Let's go back to Colossians 3 again. Look again at verse 19. The calling was the first part of the verse. The weakness is the second part. It says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now in that little word harsh, you see our weakness, guys. 
The word harsh could be also translated as bitter. Do not be bitter with them. It could also be known as demanding. Don't be demanding. Don't be exasperating to your wife. Don't provoke your wife. Or even another translation is the word grieve. Don't grieve your wife. Now, a moment ago, you saw on the screen Genesis 3.16, the curse. Let's take apart that curse just a little bit more. As we saw last week, we noticed what the curse meant to the wife. See this little picture of the wife? Uh, Her sinful nature comes out in this phrase, your desire will be for your husband. We talked about this last week. And I said that what that word desire means, it doesn't mean that you have this romantic longing or yearning for your husband. Instead, what it means is that the wife's desire is a desire to have the husband, a desire to control or manipulate the husband. And I didn't say that. God did. (laughs) But that's what the desire is. It's desire to control him. And, And some women do it passively by being weak and needy and dependent and helpless. Other women do it more actively by being nagging and critical, by pointing out his faults, by making a big deal out of his failures and things like that. That's the way a woman might do it actively or aggressively or by complaining. But then here's the way the curse plays out in men. Look at this picture. Here's the men, here's the man and that curse said that he will rule over you, Eve. He will rule over you. And this is, again, a ruling that's distorted by sin. It's not a leadership that's loving and tender. It's a harsh, domineering kind of rule. Some husbands do the ruling over their wives in a very uh, passive way by being lazy, by being aloof or remote or weak. Other men rule over their wives by doing it more actively or aggressively by being demanding authoritarian and abusive. It could even be emotional or verbal or, God forbid, physical abuse. But that's how the husband's sinful nature gets played out through the curse. But here's the point I want you men to recognize that whether it's active or passive, it's still harshness. It's still exasperating to the wife. It still grieves the wife whether you go the the nice route or the mean route. You know, you don't have to be yelling and screaming at your wife to be harsh with her. Some of the nicest guys in the world are some of the most neglectful husbands. And so I want you to be sure to broaden this ruling over. You might be thinking, oh, I don't do that. I'm a nice guy. Well, you know what? Some of us nice guys are actually provoking our wives day after day. So how about it, guys? Let's think about it, me included. How do we try to rule over our wives? Listen to some questions that I have for you and see what you might answer them with. Do you ask your wife for honest input on decisions? Or do you make the decisions yourself and apologize later? Do you take the initiative to romance your wife, make her feel like a million dollars, or... Do you often find coming out of your mouth these words? What do you want to do tonight, honey? Are you investing time and money to help your wife discover her potential? Or does everything revolve around your career, your hobbies, your ambitions? Are you listening to your wife or trying to fix her? Most of us guys are awesome fixers. 
And that's usually not what the wife is looking for. Do you save the best of your energies for her or do you give her the leftovers? Final question. How do you measure success? Is success for you measured by the size of your paycheck or by the number of times smiles are on her face? Your answers to those questions are going to help you gauge how well you're loving your wife versus how much you're living out of your old self-centered nature. And if you're honest, you know what you're going to say? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm guilty. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I am not loving her well. Men, Colossians 3.19 reveals our brokenness. That's what God put it there for. It's to reveal your brokenness. And you know, I hate to preach on this verse. I do because every word of it slays me. I am no different from Adam and neither are you. I am broken. I need more than just a practical few tips on how to be a better husband. I need an overhaul. I need a heart that has been changed and is constantly being changed by the gospel of grace. I need a new heart day in and day out. I need a power much greater than I if I'm going to really love my wife and not be harsh with her. And so do you. And so here's the good news. Jesus Christ is that power. The power you need for your weakness is a person named Jesus. Remember Ephesians 5.25 that I read a little while ago? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. There's that verse. We've said it. We know it very well. But again, notice the little word as. I think we read it wrong. Sometimes we look at this verse and we think, okay, just as Christ loved the church, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to let Him be my example. Jesus died on the cross. I'm going to die on the cross. Jesus Christ gave up His rights. I'm going to give up my rights. And so we go off in our own strength and power, trying hard again. I love what Jonathan taught us earlier, that little chorus. What was it? Try, fail, repeat, or try, fail. That's what we do. So let me suggest a different way to read the verse. Husbands, love your wives because Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. I love reading the verse that way. I don't think we do damage to the text. In fact, I think we see the heart of the meaning of Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives because Christ loved you. Jesus is not just your example, men. He is your enabling grace. He's far more than a model for you to follow. Jesus Christ is your power. Because Christ loved you, you can love your wife. Because Christ lived His life every day for you, a sinner, you can live your life every day for your wife, who sometimes sins too. Because He died to His wants, His desires, His needs for you, you can die to your needs and your desires for her. Because He put you first, you can put her first. Because He forgave you of your awful sin, you can forgive her of her minuscule sin. In comparison, because he believed the best about you, you can believe the best about her. Because he feeds and cares for you, you can feed and care for her. 
Men, the secret to loving your wife, you see, is to have a heart that feeds upon Christ and that lives out of a relationship with Jesus, a constant 24-7 dependence upon Jesus Christ. You and I know this verse in 1 John, 1 John 4.19, we say it a lot. We love because He first, what? Loved us. You can take this verse out with you today. Memorize it, men. And say to yourself every day, I love because He first loved me. Well, let me show you this other um, movie clip from the movie Fireproof. Uh, To set it up, if you haven't seen the movie, Caleb and Catherine have just about given up hope on their marriage. But Caleb, played by, some would say, heartthrob Kirk Cameron, turns his life over to Jesus Christ. He does. He gives his heart to Christ. And with Christ's power enabling him, Caleb begins to actively love his wife. Notice in this clip what Caleb comes up with to show his wife that he really does love her. Hello, Mrs. Holt. How are you today? Fine, thanks. I hope your parents are doing well. I'll tell you what, that new bed and wheelchair is certainly helping. I'm so glad. Well, what can I do for you today? You know, I just need to pick up a few linens for the hospital bed for my mom. Sure, we have some in stock. Great. That's about the only thing that wasn't covered by the doctor when he purchased that bed and wheelchair. The doctor? Yes, Dr. Keller, our secret philanthropist. Uh, I don't think Dr. Keller covered those things. No, I'm sure he did. I spoke with him about it. Mrs. Holt, if I remember correctly, $24,300 was given for the bed and wheelchair, but Dr. Keller was not the main giver. What? Of the amount given, Dr. Keller gave $300. Then who gave the other? Your husband. Caleb. He came in about two weeks ago and paid for everything. I assumed you knew. Two weeks ago? Yes, he told me not to tell anyone, but I didn't think that included you. It was the Tuesday before last. He called and asked what the price of a particular bed and wheelchair were, and I looked it up and Men and women, over the last couple of weeks, God has, through Colossians chapter 3, taught us His design for marriage. Wives, there are a lot of husbands in this room this morning who feel beat down and discouraged. If you will support and encourage your husband, there is no telling what he will do for you. And husbands, there are a lot of wives in this room who are starving for your attention. They are literally drying up inside. They feel rejected. They feel lonely. Husband, if you will love your wife, if you'll treat her like number one, there is no telling what she will do for you. But I hope you both know that these directives are impossible without God. So here's a question for you. 
if you agree that these things are impossible without God, how can you as a married couple tap into and appropriate the daily power that God has for you? We would say through prayer. So what might God do if you said a simple prayer every day for your spouse? What if you left here today with a covenant sort of a promise to each other that you're going to say, I'm going to pray for you every day for the next 14 days. This morning, I want to end with a 14-day marriage prayer challenge. And I want to attribute this to this wonderful book by, by our own David Delk. David's a member of our church, and he wrote this book called The Marriage Prayer. And uh, he says, 68 words that could change the direction of your marriage. It's a great book, a great resource that I think every husband and wife ought to own. In fact, out in the table outside, you might have seen it when you came in today, David is going to be by the table and he's going to let you purchase some, a book for your very self and he will uh, personalize the book for you if you like. He'll sign it for you. David wanted me to tell you that the money made from the books do not, does not go to him. He doesn't make any royalties off of the sales today, but the money will go to Man in the Mirror. And David's the president of Man in the Mirror. But this book, The Marriage Prayer, is built around a prayer. And I want to show you this prayer. Uh, this is the prayer I'm going to challenge you in just a few moments, that if you'd be willing to make this 14-day commitment, you're going to pray this prayer for your spouse. Now, wives, here's the prayer that you should pray for your husband, okay? Uh, it says, let's read it out loud. Women, why don't you pray with me or say it with me? Father, I said, till death do us part. I want to mean it. Help me love you more than him and him more than any. I don't hear many women praying. What does that mean? Come on, let's start with uh, help me love you more than him and him more than anyone or anything else. Help me bring him into your presence today. Make us one like you are three in one. I want to hear him, support him and serve him so he would love you more and we can bring you glory. Amen. Now, men, here's the prayer that we will pray for our wives. Say it with me, guys. Father, I said, till death do us part. I want to mean it. Help me love you more than her, and her more than anyone or anything else. Help me bring her into your presence today. Make us one like you are three in one. I want to hear her, cherish her, and serve her, so she would love you more, and we can bring you glory. Amen. It's a simple prayer. Now, it's not a magic prayer. Just because you say that prayer doesn't mean that God's going to bless. It's the heart behind the prayer. And so here's how this is going to work. In just a couple of moments, I'm going to ask if you're willing to make a 14-day commitment. That means that once a day for two weeks, if you're married, you'll pray the prayer that the wife prays for the husband or the husband prays for the wife. 14 days. That's doable. You can do that. If you're engaged, you get to do it too. Or if you're seriously dating, I would encourage you to pray for the person that you're thinking about marrying someday. But uh, here's the card, okay? We're going to make it so simple that you're going to be able to get a card and take it with you today. It's a card that's got two parts to it. You tear it in half. The husband gets one side. The wife gets the other. And so I'm going to ask our welcome team members if they'll come station themselves around the auditorium here. And uh, here's the way this is going to work. If you're married or engaged or seriously dating, you want a card, who am I to stand in the way of you praying for that person? 
So what you do is get up out of your seat and go grab a card, one card per couple will do, since it's two parts. Grab one card. Uh, the wife can get up out of her seat and get it. The husband can do it. It doesn't matter. But let's go ahead and do it right now. If you're willing to say, yeah, I'll pray for 14 days for my spouse, stand up, go over, get a card, and then go back to your seat. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. The men and women who came up and got a card, that promise is for you. If you will pray every day for your spouse, I cannot tell you how many good things can come out of that. Because God loves it when helpless, weak people come to Him as the source of their strength and ask for help. If you've never turned your life over to Christ, that is the very best way to get connected to the power. Jesus says, I'm your perfect husband. You're my bride. Love her just like I loved you. Let's pray. Father, would you help us please, we pray, as men and women who are trying to live out of our manhood and womanhood as broken as it is by the fall. Father, we need constant grace. Jesus, thank you for being our power. We cling to you, the crucified. We draw our life, our hope, our help from you and ask you to live your life through us to the broken people with whom we live. And we ask this in Jesus' name.